0: Welcome to Photo Geek Weekly, episode 105, recorded on April 24th of 2020, the photo geekery show where uh, I dig through the uh, the news. I'm your host, on Kamerechka, to find the geekiest, the nerdiest, the most technical, or the most dilemma-inspiring stories uh, in the photo industry news week. Uh, and I always have a co-host, and I'm so happy to have back on. It's been way too long fellow photo geek, uh, well before my time in the industry and continues strong. So he's somebody that I look up to and admire, uh, in uh, many different ways. Thank you
1: for being on the show again, Frederick Van Johnson. Thank you for having me on. It's uh, it's exciting. You know, it's a, it's always a pleasure to be on this side of the mic you know, or, or this side of the interview, you know, sort of chamber than uh, normally on the other side of the mic asking the questions. So
0: especially because you don't have to do anything when this ends, you don't have to uh, organize show notes, you don't have to, you know, put anything together, you just get to smile, be happy, share your opinions. And, uh, and I'm glad that you're here to do that yeah uh it's been a while though uh, what what have you been up to? what's been keeping you busy right now, especially now that we're all pretty well at home?
1: oh man, it's so much you would think that you know we're we're in this sort of global uh you know everyone's just sort of in disarray with with the with the pandemic and all that, and you would think that um I'd be taking a vacation, but I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not taking a vacation. In fact, people like me, content creators and people that do virtual things like this, um, I'm more busy than ever. You know, Companies have been asking me to help them with webinars, with building um, turnkey podcasts. I'm building virtual events for two companies. So the whole virtual world of the stuff that I do from this room that I've been doing forever you know, it's now valuable, it turns now out. Now <laughs> coveted,
0: yeah. And I, I'm much the same. I mean, I'm all set up. You know, we both have good mics and, uh, and uh, you know, a nice, comfy, professional space for us to, to make magic in. Yeah. And for me, I mean, this was just for my own enjoyment initially. Just, you know, let's make a podcast because I like to talk about this stuff and mm-hmm. or be on other ones. And it's not it wasn't anything really monetary for me at that point. Yeah. Um, and I figured, hey, it might come at some point now everybody's just clamoring. It's like, Don, can you be in this webinar conference? Can you do this and that? And Starting tomorrow, uh, as we record this on Friday, starting Saturday morning, I'm in a, uh, an image critique session with fellow macro photographer Mike Motes cool. uh, in the Out of Chicago Live um, a conference, which kicked off uh, sort of right as we're recording this right now. I missed uh, Brian Peterson's keynote speech, but that's okay. Oh, that's very cool. That's so good
1: that. that they pivoted like that on, uh, you know, with Out of Chicago. Um, a, a lot of concern goes out to all those those conferences that, you know, rely on people traveling to where they, where the conference is in order to do it one of them i was supposed to be at nab this week right yeah (laughs) so so i was be speaking as my first time speaking at nab at three three sessions there but they pivoted as well and now they're doing nab as a virtual event and i'm speaking at that so yeah it's, it's, it's it's interesting to see the direction of the world and these things that you know for for all intents and purposes i think should have been or not 100%, but should have had a strong virtual component. And now that they've tasted the water and gone through the, walked over the coals to build a virtual component, I don't think it's ever going away, to be honest.
0: and I like that because how many times do you hear about these big conferences and they have a speaker that you'd really like to listen to? And you know that if you were there live, you'd be able to, mm-hmm. but it wasn't recorded or it wasn't recorded live or it's just very difficult to get access to that because it might not be you know, published right away when it's yeah. timely. Um, and now I've got a feeling That even if we do go back to a a physical, uh, you know, trade show kind of environment, that the Zoom recording uh, or whatever tool you're using, Zoom is a really popular one right now, but Mm -hmm. um, will be commonplace. In fact, you would be uh, almost like shamed if you didn't, because the public has now gotten a taste for it. It's not just the broadcasters that see the benefit.
1: But, you know, it's always, it's always, and tell me what you think about this. It's always like the ebb and flow of things. It's always, you know, there's... it goes to one hundred and ten percent or one hundred and fifty or two hundred percent on something, and then there's the contraction. and for me, I you know, I'm the same way as you. You know, I'm getting requests to be on webinars and podcasts and all this stuff, and I'm getting emails of hey, we're doing this event, We're doing this event, and we're doing this, you know, this virtual cocktail party and this and the, you know it's just an end. it's a list of different things that are going on. I'm getting zoom and virtual fatigue from it, yeah. so. So I think we'll see a uh, sort of a contraction. We're seeing the expansion now, obviously, for for obvious reasons, but I think we'll see a contraction when things start getting back to normal as the tides go back out and we'll see what's left over there. But I think the fact that people are sort of walking this path and seeing, oh, this is not so bad working from home like this, or businesses saying you know, actually, we got a lot done during that period. Maybe you should consider working from home two or three days a week now. Well, it says the people that do not have children at home. Correct. But that's, you know, presupposing schools open up again and daycare. (laughs) So, yeah, it's crazy. It's interesting. It's an interesting time to be alive because, you know, you look at this stuff and this obviously is going to be a point of inflection for many parts of the world in terms of how we do business and operate our day-to-day lives and entertainment and on and on and on so it's
0: exactly yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's gonna there, there will be a new normal that shakes out of this we're not going to go mm-hmm. back to the world that we had we're gonna have a new one new technology focused uh, new it's still socially interacting but I think that uh, It will actually open up more opportunities for people to connect across greater distances because Mm -hmm. now I can be a part of a photo conference that might be happening in Germany or Japan or something, but I don't have to physically get there because now that might be acceptable.
1: Exactly. Yeah, I'm working with a a photographer who's doing a conference down in Southern California. And the the, previously the conference was, you know, you got to buy a ticket and get on a plane and come get your hotel and come to the event and then get on a plane and go home, you know, Um, he's still doing that, but adding a equal, if not even in some way, superior virtual version to that. So it opens up to the whole world now. So someone in you know, in Tasmania with a decent internet connection can enjoy the content. They can watch the keynotes, they can take classes, et cetera, et cetera. But if you happen to be fortunate enough and, you know, germiverse enough you know you can travel you know and actually interact with people in real time and do photo walks and go to dinners and have drinks and all that stuff so kind of the best of both worlds and that person in tasmania if next year they decide you know what I saw that that in- person stuff I'm thinking I might want to go that looked pretty cool they can go you know yeah, and they have yeah. a taste of it
0: Oh. I, I don't think the in-person thing is going to go away in the long term. I mean, yeah. once we've got like uh, a vaccine that establishes herd immunity from wh- wh- what ails us right now as a society, uh, mm-hmm. as a global village, then uh, we'll have a return to normalcy to some degree. But you're right, it's going to be augmented. And I think for the better in the long run, we just got to get there. And it is a long road to get there. So everybody buckle in. Yeah, but uh, let, let's get into our stories for yeah. the week. Um, you know, smartphones are becoming the ubiquitous camera that everybody has. For and sure. uh, it, it comes down to a number of factors. Number one, convenience, but also the quality. It's just they are more than good enough for just about anything, especially in the last few years when we've had a lot of computational photography developments mm-hmm. uh, come to the forefront. And Samsung has been one of the real pioneers there. Somewhat, I, I mean sometimes this just has to be marketing speak uh sometimes it does have legitimacy but what do you think about these um uh these super resolution sensors because right now you can get a galaxy s20 that has a i think a 108 megapixel camera in it um
1: uh, take it from there frederick (laughs) one word why <laughs> <Right>? Yeah. <laughs> why do you need a full-on you know modified hummer to you know to run to starbucks right it's like you know the the it's the analogy but the, the resultant image and the data that you get in there yeah it's great that you can capture all this but it just it feels like bodybuilding like doing a thing just because you can do a thing and to show that you could do this thing and compete in there it's it, it, for the most part Who's using that? Like, who would need that? I think the people that would need that number of megapixels um, are the people doing commercial photography and that level of work. Those people aren't going to switch to a phone anytime soon, I don't think. So that means people doing Instagram stories and selfies and shots of the kids and all that stuff, do they really need it? Or does it introduce more space requirements, transfer speed issues, et cetera, et cetera.
0: So. Especially when it's a, it's a marketing term that you get 108 megapixels, but they're actually pixel binning that. And so there, there might be some way through some third-party software to install uh, a way to actually record that full 100 megapixels of, of raw data. I'm not saying that's an impossibility. I haven't looked into the specs of that. But it's not what's delivered by default. You're mm-hmm. going to get down to uh, with any of these cameras uh, around a, a 12 to maybe 16 megapixel output at the end of it. So why are you gathering so much information? We talked about this on this podcast before. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason why this is coming up again, and I hate to, uh, to 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 beat a dead horse, but it's not dead because it keeps coming back up. <laughs> so we're going to kick it again. Uh, it's a zombie and- horse. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, Samsung had their Tetra cell technology, which basically took four pixels and bin them together into one. Okay. And then um, this uh, sensor that's currently on the market right now was non-a-cell, so nine different cells, a three-by-three three array, which would give you a roughly 100 megapixel uh, camera uh, as a result of that. Now they're talking 600 megapixels. So what could you do? computationally in the pixel binning. You might be able to eke out some uh, some better moiré patterns or removing mm-hmm. moiré from, from a, c- a camera. Uh, noise profiles, I think, I don't know if that's really going to qualify because you could probably uh, have nice, clean images by computational algorithms or just by having a bigger physical pixel, right? Or photosite as it would be on the sensor. Um, but now if you're going to 600 megapixels, it means it's no longer an array of of three by three based on my rough calculations, it would have to be an array of seven by seven. Um, and, and that's just taking the the difference, uh, and, uh, doing some square root math and just figuring out that that's about the average. Mm-hmm. Um, so seven by seven, how could that possibly be of you? I understand four. I understand, like an array of nine, but an array of 54 different pixels that you're, that's just, you're wasting battery
1: power at that point. In my opinion, battery, battery power, uh, disc space, the the whole nine yards. It's just, I don't know, you know, maybe, maybe I'm just uninformed, which, you know, is highly possible, but I don't see a whole lot of applications for that. You know, I don't know, you know, is it, is it okay? You're going to have all these, these pixels and now you can crop in and extract and harvest an image now, you know, individual aspects of it
0: when you have your uh, your photo so small and the pixel pitch goes so small diffraction is going to blur the heck out of anything if you want to use those individual pieces by themselves because the sensor itself isn't getting bigger yeah. you're just cramming more pixels within that and uh unless you like put a telescope on the end of it with a ridiculously wide aperture which uh, wouldn't even uh be possible but uh the math just doesn't work unless you're computationally deriving information but at that point the ai tech is going to get so good it's just going to start guessing along the way so kick the horse again thank you for helping me kick that horse
1: Frederick um, well can we kick it one more time because I have a question for you since <laughs> sure. this, is, this is your this is your area of, of expertise particularly optics and and what happens to that that photon as it travels through the glass on the on the way to that sensor whatever the size it is if if you have a sensor that is 600 megapixels or whatever megapixels isn't it dependent on the quality of the optics in front of it and the resolving power of the optics in front of it? In other words, are you, you know, putting, you know, a beautiful sort of Ferrari body <laughs> on on an old chassis of some sort, you know, or vice versa? Don't they have yeah, to match throw, or one you be you superior? Yeah, it's like putting an
0: old Pinto engine in a in a new Ferrari kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly. Mean, you know, it, 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 you're going to have a bottleneck somewhere. Thank you. The bottleneck. Uh, that's the word I was looking for. Exactly, and so. If, uh, if you have good optics, like very highly perfectly engineered glass, uh, you know, with the latest technology that we have, and that's also improving too. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't get me wrong, new coatings and new ways to form glass. Um, but you still come down to the point of how much, like what is the actual aperture within that? And there's some uh, diffraction calculators out there that figure out exactly what the pixel size is, um, where diffraction comes in when you're shooting at a sensor of a specific size and an aperture at a specific size. Um, and none of these smartphone cameras have, uh, have calculated apertures that are like F1.2 or F1.0 or, or, or that fast, right? Yeah, they're they're yeah. going to be uh, like, maybe at most F1.8 or somewhere in that neighborhood, mm-hmm. uh, maybe F2. So at that point, If you have more resolution, and I run into this with microscope objectives all the time, um, the resolving power of the objective um, is usually uh, measured in microns, how much detail can it suss out of the subject, not how much resolution the sensor behind it is going to be um and so if you have that it's usually based on diffraction and there's a number of factors uh, involved in that how close you are to your subject mm-hmm. um, certain microscope objectives and it, you'll see this analogy come together in a minute but certain microscope objectives have a longer working distance which means you're further away from the subject which compromises your overall resolution the closer you are in those cases the optics can be specifically designed to give you the utmost in resolution and so when you're dealing uh, with a smartphone camera uh, that is designed generally to focus a little bit further away, so you get a slight benefit for that perspective when you've got that infinity focus. Uh, right. But it, it just cannot compute. No matter how good the, uh, the sensor is behind it, the optics are going to be the limiting factor. Yeah. And the resolving power of the optics does not equal the resolving
1: power of the sensor. Unless- a lot of Unless, unless here we go. <laughs> unless drum, drum roll, you're shooting 360. So maybe that's the use case for this. You need more pixels, is you know, to to resolve that sphere that you're shooting 360 in, right? Could that True. could that be it?
0: But uh, th- there is some limitations of CMOS sensors in, in the sense that, um, and this is different from every manufacturer, backside illumin- uh, illuminated sensors and microlensing can modify this in some way. Um, but uh, I'll see if I could dig up a white paper that I originally wrote when Canon was uh, starting to switch from CCDs to CMOS sensors. And there was an interesting little nugget of knowledge in there that um, the well uh, where the photons have to go down into and become electrons is... Um, if the light was at a great angle, would just hit against the side of the well and wouldn't be counted. So if you had a small aperture where all of the light is coming in almost straight down, it would mostly be counted. But if you had very large apertures, some of that light just wouldn't be counted towards the total light uh, collected by the sensor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there were some calculations to figure out how much light would be lost. Cameras would, by their very nature, behind the scenes, brighten things up if it was able to calculate that. Then I did some tests. Uh, I put an F1.2 lens. uh, It was the Canon 85mm F1.2 on a... 5d mark ii i think at the time and mounted on the camera with a manual exposure i pointed it at just like a gray wall Mm -hmm. and took a picture then i dismounted the lens slightly so that the camera couldn't talk to the lens to figure out what the aperture would be
1: Mm, broke the contacts
0: broke the contacts, so it wasn't able to to calculate the delta between the amount of light lost and how much light should have been there uh and the image was darker by not much, by like maybe a quarter of a stop, hmm. but it was there and it was sort of behind the scenes. So when you have a three hundred and sixty kind of angle, do you, are, are you having multiple lenses hitting the same sensor from different angles? Are you yeah. shooting with an incredibly wide aperture? Uh, with there's so many factors that so go into many. this. Yeah, um, but at the same time, that level of resolution is only being used for pixel binning so why not just make bigger happier pixels
1: thank you and uh, yeah 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 Yeah. i don't know i don't know but for for the average joe or jane you know if really Right. So yeah. You need yeah, it, yeah. Or is it just well, more words to put on the back of the box or on the website? Oh well, I I, I honestly it, right? think
0: whoever has the higher number gets the bigger sales, and so it becomes that marketing term. Is
1: it still that though, Don? You know, because it was. Remember, it was you know the megapixel wars, and or even before that in the in the SLR and DSLR space, they used to compete on frames per second. You had to have right. more frames per second, or you were your camera was well, crap, right? Okay, so so
0: let's do the stories out of the order that I originally selected. Because yeah. If we were staying in the mobile space, Huawei has, quote, accidentally claimed that DSLR photos uh, were shot on its smartphones yet again. And so, you know, somebody watching the ad recognized an image and was able to put these two things together. And I'm so glad that that level of citizen journalism exists because these people need to be shamed and called out for this. Absolutely. Absolutely. but if in the ads, Huawei is not the only company that's done this. I, I don't, I, I don't want to say everybody, but I know that a, uh, a good portion of the manufacturers out there have been guilty of this at one time or another. And maybe it's just a gaffe on their side. Maybe it's deliberate and they just hope that they can get away with it. I don't know. Um, but... The fact that you have manufacturers of smartphones using images not taken on their device really brings it back to a marketing standpoint of bigger is better. Look at the beautiful pictures that we can create any camera. Any camera is a good camera, yeah, right? It's days, the photographer yeah. behind it, and the technology and processing, and so many other elements that come into uh, uh, into the process. Where, yeah, if you take a dull, boring sunset image and run it through XYZ software and come out with something beautiful at the end, yeah, it's still technically shot on an iPhone, a Galaxy, a um, whatever this ad was for. I didn't even look up what the, the phone Neither. they were advertising <laughs> because it's it's kind of a, it becomes a blur um, at this point. But uh, no, and, and there was more than one image as well. And so, wh- if you take it from that marketing perspective, Frederick, um, I know you are are heavy into to marketing on a, a number of different angles. Mm-hmm. If if a company like Huawei were to come to you and say, hey, we really need to promote our product as best as we possibly can. Uh, How do we do this fast, cheap, and make the biggest impact? Would you ever recommend anybody to do this?
1: No, never. Absolutely (laughs) not. Absolutely. It wouldn't even cross my mind to do this. It would, you know, if you're making this super phone that has magical powers that can do all this crazy stuff, let's show what it can do and make the assumption that people are smart and if you are disingenuous they're going to find out period and if they find out like now you're going to be on photo geek weekly <laughs> <and> you're good <laughs> and you're going to be raked over the coals right so why even take that risk of the negative brand damage on the and then on the other hand I was thinking about this it's like I could see maybe if this was a poor company that was struggling and they're trying to get a foothold and they had no money, so they had to do this. It's still wrong, but okay. This is yeah. Huawei, right? They've got they've got pockets deeper than Jupiter, right? They can yeah. they can afford to do what they need to do. Why are they doing this this cheap stuff?
0: Well, I mean, maybe they hired a photographer that uh, was supposed to be top of their game. Got some crummy images back and said, okay, now we have to replace that because we didn't get what we need to make ourselves shine. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, well,
1: if, you're, but- if you're promoting a feature like the image quality and and, and saying it or purporting that it's, it's better than a DSLR, you can expect there's going to be a certain level of scrutiny around that all the yeah. way down the chain. Internally, there should have be, been scrutiny from the product manager to the art director to the final person that said, yes, this piece is ready to go. Somebody in there should have said, especially considering the track record of getting caught with this. Someone should have said, you know what? Let's see that exif data real quick. <laughs> you know, let's right. make sure. Let's make sure this is what it's supposed to be. You know. Well,
0: and and, and th- I mean, there are some exceptions to this. I mean, I've got one. Uh, if I can reach it here, yeah. As I reach back behind me to f- grab a box. This is the box uh, from the KXL 600A, the very first camera that Panasonic ever produced. Mm -hmm. It made a like 640 by 480 resolution image. The image on the box could not have been taken with that camera. (laughs) (laughs) That's definitely a film shot because in that era, oh. 640 by 480 does not give you uh, that kind. Of, and I get it, right? You yeah. want to show the atmosphere of that and not necessarily the product. That was in the mid-90s. Yeah. But I mean, in the mid-90s, from a product design standpoint, it's got everything you could ask for. It has a tilt multi-swivel screen in every direction. Oh, I like that thing. It, it has a telescoping viewfinder, right? It's it's got it all right. Yeah, except <laughs> it has a good a, sensor. <laughs> it, it has a built-in neutral density filter. Even wow. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, okay. So yeah. You, well, you, you gotta- know,
1: in their defense, back in the day, again, there's no there's no defense of that, right? But. Back then, they were technology-inhibited. So they couldn't create images that would be print-worthy to go on that box. So they had to shoot them another way. These days, like we started this conversation out with, cell phones can do magic tricks. Uh, They can see into other dimensions and into the future and the past and everything. So why are you lying? You know, stop it. Stop it. Or or
0: why are you telling me things that really don't matter in terms of what I'm going to create at the end of the day? Exactly. which kind of brings me to what Canon is announcing. Uh, we've got more specs on the EOS R5, which has been uh, sort of a, an earthquake in terms of the specs. You know, everybody's feeling this rumble, uh, whether or not they shoot Canon when they see some of these numbers, especially um, they're trying to, I guess, take back uh, the the crown of uh, their their video uh, heritage that they or pedigree that they established with the 5D Mark II. Mm-hmm. At least that's what it seems like when I'm looking at this. Yeah. Um, now, looking at the specs and knowing that I don't think anybody is asking for 8K footage at this time, um, no. is, there, is there value in having the ability to record 8K 30 raw? I mean, is it like future-proofing your investment to buy a camera like this? Uh, or is it just everybody's going to eat up oodles of space on their memory card shooting the dog running in the backyard?
1: I, that's a good question. First of all, I'll preface it with: I'm not a video guy beyond this kind of video, so I wouldn't I wouldn't consider myself a filmmaker that can speak, you know, with it with an educated tone about what's a good camera for video or any of that um, or resolution. But from my standpoint, looking at 4K, 6K, 8K, um, when 4K showed up, the conversation was: Wow, that's great! Look how beautiful that that footage is and for us content creators we could just use one camera now we could shoot a two camera interview and then in post punch in and not lose any resolution oh 8k here you know and even with the 4k it was oh, like punch in
0: you, on somebody's quarter of their face get their eyeball right exactly in the frame there.
1: yeah yeah <laughs> then then with uh I mean, with 4k you can extract a frame like Panasonic, you can extract a, an, an eight megapixel frame or whatever, right, out of it. And now you have a, a, a photo that you could presumably print to eight by 10, which is crazy from a, you know, 30 frame per second piece of uh, video. And then you go 6K. And you're like, OK, what do I need that for? Because I really didn't use any of that 4K stuff <laughs> that much. So uh, do I really need that? Do I need more pixels? Do I need more? To, you know, we're using more space. And now we're at 8K. So I don't honestly know why I need 8K. Is it the same? And if, if your audience can educate me, I'd be great. I'd be grateful. But is it the same as uh, you want 8K because that's where the industry's going and the televisions are going to be such higher resolution and we're going to have this augmented reality stuff and we're going to need all those pixels in order to do all this crazy stuff that's planned? Or is it like ludicrous mode on a Tesla? It's just there, and you're you're happy that it's there, but you'll never ever really use it,
0: right? I don't know. So I, okay. I don't know. I mean, I, I I drive a Tesla now. It doesn't have ludicrous mode, but I have a renewed joy of pulling up to a red light and being the first car there. Um.
1: Or, so or, and the and the first car to be halfway to the next stoplight, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: but okay, so. They say it shoots uh, 8K30 RAW. They don't say what uh, bit depth that RAW is or exactly how it's encoded and how big those files are going to be. That's a big unknown here. Um, It does say that it will do um, internal uh, video recording non-RAW at 422 10-bit in C-Log if you want. Uh, I'm assuming that's optional. Um, Now, that's 10-bit. Now, is the RAW format also 10-bit or is it 12 or is it 14? It's almost impossible that they would be able to push out 14 bit raw, uh, based on that resolution and frame rate. So it's probably 12 or 10, you know, I was on a shoot recently and the director of photography, uh, I asked him, I was shooting with a Lumix S1H Mm -hmm. and, uh, I asked him, do you want me to shoot 5.9 K uh, at, uh, I forget exactly what the, the, the specs, uh, were, I don't have them in front of me right now. Or do you want me to shoot at 4k? Uh, and I know that the, the quality was higher at 4k in terms of compression and, uh, and bit depth, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And he, he said, our deliverable is 4k. We want the best 4k that we can get. And so I shot there rather than uh, shooting to a higher resolution. And yes, you can scale that down and it's not going to be perfect or you could punch into it. And we were doing some macro stuff. So I did shoot some uh, at that 5.9 K where depth of field was a greater concern than uh, than the actual image quality uh, because there wasn't a whole lot of dynamic range or color in some of the, the sequences, which brings me to an announcement that I'm really happy about. Because hmm. I have both the S1H uh, and the Atmos Ninja V. And hmm. Panasonic, uh, as they had anticipated to announce at NAB, which started this week or should have started this week if it was still going on, um, that uh, they're going to allow 5.9K Pro Res Raw video recording uh, on the S1H. Not internally. You have to have an external recorder via HDMI to get this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that would have been the cat's meow for that shoot that I was doing before mm-hmm. because I could get them that 5.9k and that raw video allows for any amount of color correction or uh you know manipulation color matching between different cameras etc that would be very helpful in a multi-camera sometimes a multi-year shoot for some of those projects yeah um and some lenses that I've used um, are really tricky and uh, quirky and needed for certain shots. Otherwise, you can't get them like the Venus Optics Liowa 24 millimeter probe lens. Um, but it's got a color cast to it. It's kind of like a greenish color cast, which, mm. yeah, I can white balance out to some degree. But if I was shooting raw footage to begin with, that is just a filmmaker's
1: tool. See, I you're, would, you're, Don, Don Komarechka, you are way over on Enceladus <laughs> and I'm just on our mode. Moon here. So you know, you're, you know that stuff. And I'm like, okay, well, I have an S1H, which I, you know, I, I, even though I'm a Lumix Ambassador, I purchased that thing with Frederick Van Johnson money, right? I did I, the same thing
0: for mine. I, I
1: wanted that thing. Yeah. But they did send me, because the same reasons, you know, because of the, the trade show drought, uh, they sent me over the 7200 and that coveted 50 millimeter. Oh, how lens. is that lens? Oh, it, it is a catch 22. It is a catch 22. Here's why that is the best 50 that I've ever seen. And I've, I've been shooting since 1989, bro. So that is the best 50 millimeter lens that I've ever seen in my entire life. The other side of that coin is it is the heaviest 50 millimeter lens I have seen in my entire life. So, you know, it, but it's, it's, it's a trade up because the body itself is heavy too. So both of those things together, you're you're moving around with intention, right? It's yep. it's not like, yeah, I'm just gonna bring this thing with me and if I see a shot, I'll grab it. You're not making those kinds of decisions with this setup. You are you're intentionally going out to get images and you will get some beautiful, beautiful images with that 50. So you know that's a 22. the 22 uh, the third side of that coin if this if we're in that dimension with three sides um it uh it's expensive you know it is a it is the probably the most expensive 50 millimeter lens that can be purchased as well
0: have you had a chance yeah, to like, it? like a noctilux takes the cake on that one i'm sure mm-hmm. um but in terms of uh what mere mortals would consider buying for anything professional or recreational yes i think it would uh it would take that but Yeah. Um, So this high, high resolution, high quality uh, video stuff, what a lot of people aren't really talking about. uh, It's not how good the end product is. It's the road to get there. Right. Yeah, Yeah. The processing power, the storage capacity that you need and the workflow is so lengthy. Mm-hmm. That if you are not doing like a uh, major motion picture stuff, documentary film stuff, yeah. something that, uh, you know, maybe you're like filming like, um, uh, a world leader giving a speech where you just want to have the highest quality for posterity and archive yeah. ar- archival purposes. Um, then I don't really think that, uh, it would necessarily be needed. I, I had yeah. uh, Jordan Drake over uh my way who does dp review tv and now i am also doing a video series there as well and oh, the latest video yeah, thank you. Uh, the latest video just dropped yesterday, for anybody curious. I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. Uh, total geeky, nerdy stuff that you can do at home uh, with some minimal gear you might already have or it would be you know inexpensive to get. Uh, and uh, I remember him telling me that he shot with the 5.9 and the 6K just when they were testing the camera out. And I'm sure he'll do the same uh, when he gets the, the updated firmware. Uh, but for all the production work, they're down at 4K. And down at 4k, uh, you have good quality manageable file sizes. You don't need a beast of a computer to deal with it. Uh, and you just carry on. Nobody's complaining that it's not shot at anything higher than that. So, uh, it's kind of at a point where it's going to be better than anybody needs, but just like that cell phone space, people still want bigger numbers. Yeah. It just they, yeah, Okay. Well, this one has eight K versus six K. I am going eight K, just because people are guided by the marketing terms and what those marketing mavens are able to come up with uh, to make people buy one product over another. We are all sheep uh, to those uh, to those messages, and which direction we go to, well, whoever markets the best to us, I suppose.
1: Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. I don't know. I mean, like you started the conversation. Uh, I wonder where that where that convergence is when you know between cell phones. Being good enough. And, you know, people kind of having that epiphany moment of, you know, what? even filmmakers, you know, going down that road of, you know, I want to be the first filmmaker to do a feature film on a mobile device or on a bunch of mobile devices. I wonder if we can make that happen. So. Oh, I'm sure
0: somebody's already done it just for the, the the gimmick of it by now. I remember it was early, very early on in the 4K days. I think one of the very first 4K cameras uh, had just hit the market. And uh, LeVar Burton had shot a short film using 4K because he wanted to, uh, to have something that would kind of be future-proof in terms of resolution, shooting digitally. Uh, and that might have been a smart move because now 4K in terms of monitors and TVs and everything is the standard. Uh, but then we also have the reports that people standing in front of an 8k tv versus a a 4k tv can't tell the difference Mm -hmm. Uh, unless you are a pixel peeper that absolutely knows what that difference is which is like 4% Four percent of the population, right. um, you're not going to have that uh, that huge impact that we saw yeah. from 1080p all the way up to 4k. It's it's going to be a law of diminishing returns here.
1: And of the and of that what would you say four percent yeah, of that four percent of the population? What percentage of those people wear glasses, right? And <laughs> right. and are getting older and you know suffering from whatever macular degeneration or whatever. Right. So we need bionic
0: eyes. We need I to know. feed right into our brain. That's right. Yeah. You
1: remember when Apple came out with the Retina display? I was like, yep. oh this is i think that's nice yeah <laughs> <laughs> i guess it's better they say it's better so. it must be better yeah take my yeah. money <laughs> <laughs> all right our
0: final story which is kind of a fun one um alpa uh which makes really interesting film cameras if you're uh, aren't familiar with their stuff check with the show notes at photogeekweekly.com um uh, they won a counterfeit case in china anybody Winning a counterfeit case in China is a reason to like sprinkle parade. Uh, you know uh, what? What do they call the the sparkles all over your confetti? Th- yeah, confetti. Uh, so, uh, so. Alpa makes really beautiful cameras often wood grain, like it, it's in some cases in terms of mechanical design puts Leica to shame just for the, the, the um, you want to put it on a pedestal and just enjoy the design of the product. It, mm-hmm. I just love the way their cameras look. Um, but if, uh, if they have that allure, chances are somebody in China uh, or anywhere in Asia where manufacturing is inexpensive and copyright laws are a little bit more lax compared to the rest of the world might look at that and say, hmm could we do the same thing and capitalize on that, like a Louis Vuitton bag or Mm -hmm. even batteries from major camera manufacturers, right? There's a good chance that somebody listening to this has a counterfeit battery for their camera and might not even know it because they make the fakes really good and it's kind of hard to spot them. Um, So what do you think about this? What do you think about Alpa's design to begin with, the knockoffs and the ruling?
1: Uh, Well, first of all, you hit it right on the head, right? So that's you know, uh, the hypocrisy defined over there, you know, in terms of defending copyright. So, bravo for being able to actually litigate something in, in, you know, in that area. But the design of the camera, looking at it now, it's, you know, if you go for that sort of thing, I believe cameras, you know, can be, I don't want to go with the word are, but I believe cameras can be objects of applied art. Right. Oh, absolutely.
0: I mean, I I own a number of them myself. Yeah, I know
1: you do. Yeah, like
0: I, I like this is one of the favorite cameras that I've almost never used. Oh, Uh, look at that
1: thing. describe <laughs> a, that to your audio listeners.
0: What is that? So this is a medium format camera uh, that uses, uh, it shoots six by six frames, but it shoots two of them side by side. So it's a stereoscopic 3D camera. And it's got a third lens at the top, like uh, Tom Clancy's splinter cell style. Uh, and the third lens is the one that you actually look through. Now, 3D World was a Chinese manufacturer, and they made this product unique to themselves. And then they went out of business because nobody bought it. Um, so, but the, the allure of having a camera as a conversation piece it is a thing uh, and a lot of people treat photography as a social activity and not necessarily as a professional activity but it's a hobby to get together with your friends and have some fun discussions and feel like this is the why uh, why some people still uh, drive or or ride ridiculously shaped bicycles. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Not because it's convenient, but because they want to stand out and start a conversation with anybody that sees them. Right. And I think Alpa is kind of in that boat. Although I think that there is a certain practicality to have a good, uh, well-functioning film camera
1: if that's your repartee. Yeah. See, that just doesn't apply to me or, or appeal to me either. It's just, I'm more of a, I want my camera bags, black and inconspicuous. I would never buy a camera that's other than black and inconspicuous because it's not about the tool. It's like getting a, you know, a diamond plated, you know, hammer handle or something, you know, so so other plumbers can be fascinated by your hammer. It's like it's a tool, you know, so I understand photography is different. Right. Because I remember, remember when Panasonic was making those little tiny micro four thirds cameras. The little ones that were barely big enough to hold. Oh a yeah, you could, was it lens? was just
0: beyond the lens mount.
1: Almost, yeah, right? yeah, those were more fashion statements because I had one, you know, and you'd walk around with it, and you sit at the dinner table, and you have this little, little camera, little lens on it. Um, I get it, and I and I I think I took that thing out exactly one or two times, you know, because it was like it can't do everything I needed to do. It's almost better to just use my phone. So why do I have this thing? And what do I care what people think? About <laughs> about what yeah. I'm doing, shouldn't they care about what this thing can do and the end result? Why do they care about the tool? So I because don't because photographers
0: that are that that have the mindset that the tool makes the photographer are obsessed with the tools. No. Um, now that's uh, that's a very bold statement to make. But uh, any good photographer, any photographer worth their salt can pick up any camera and make a good photograph, right? Yes. And I think that, that that is the universal truth that a lot of times get glossed over because people that might be learning or might put too much weight on the gear think that better gear will make them a better photographer. Mm-hmm. Um, and that fallacy has persisted through the decades. Uh, that's marketing
1: though, Don. That's the, I mean, yeah. the people that are, you know, photography continues to be, I don't, I don't, know, I don't know if it still is today, but it, it, it has been the fastest growing hobby you know, in the, at least the United States. And, and people, it, once you get bitten by that bug, they follow the the train tracks of, okay, let me go consume everything I can about this thing. And I want to learn. And then they, they get exposed to the celebrities and the celebrities are sponsored, right? And they're spouting the m- marketing messages from company A, B, and C, you should buy our gear and you should shoot. You got to buy this stuff if you want to be like me. So, go buy this camera, these lenses, those lights, and you could be, you may have a chance at being like me. So, they do that versus, you know, going the hard way. So, I don't
0: know. and you and I uh, both um, have connections with Panasonic, of course, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, and, uh, and, and I love their equipment. But I'm not going to say that any competitor's camera is garbage compared to it. I mean, yeah. it, you can't go out and buy a bad camera these days. And I, if right. people are asking me about macro lenses, I recommend them from a good number of individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and I'll get to one of those as one of my picks. But cool. before we get into that. Um where can people find you online these days, Frederick? Because I know that you you're still doing the uh the This Week in Photo and you've got a good community that is uh it's continuing to flourish uh Absolutely. around that brand.
1: Yeah. all roads lead to thisweekinphoto.com. So that's that's where you can currently find me. Um, I am working on some projects right now that I can't. Re- I finally can say this. All my guests always say this. I'm working on some stuff, but I can't tell you about it. <laughs> now I can say it. I'm working on something that I can't really give you the details of, but it's around this whole virtual world stuff that we're transitioning into. So uh, I'm working on that. But just you know, head over to thisweekinphoto.com. There's a like like you mentioned on. There's a community there. We call it the Twip Pro community. It is a paid community. It's five bucks a month to become a member of the community. And that five bucks is not because I'm trying to buy a Tesla like Don's. You know, it's (laughs) it's more to keep out trolls and to have people have at least a little bit of skin in the game when they join the community so that those people tend to act like adults, even when there's just a couple of dollars on the line. So as a result, over the years that this community has flourished, as you say, the conversations are are up leveled. Right. So they're smart conversations. They're helpful conversations. We do a weekly critique session um, every Monday where, you know, we take images that have been submitted to the critique area of the community and we talk about them and give substantive feedback and, you know, just try to help other photographers. And then especially now uh, we do it's important every Friday at 6 p.m. U.S. Pacific time, we do a what I call the member mixer which is we all jump into a Zoom call and, you know, there's a grid on the screen, literally, and everyone's just chatting and, you know, drinking their beverage of choice. And we're talking about different things. And, you know, occasionally I'll have a special guest in there. Like maybe Don Komoreska may, vis- may visit us tonight. That you know, would but, be fun. Um, but we have a special guest in there and people pepper them with questions. And it's all fun. It's all about photography, but sometimes not about photography, which is fun about it. So well, that's, and- that's what I
0: do. And I think that that would have been a, uh, a novel, wonderful experience, um, in the before times, mm-hmm. but in the now times that, that can ground people in, in their own sanity, right? Yes. Because without that, a lot of people are getting cabin fever. Uh, hopefully that's the only kind of fever that they're getting. Yeah. And, uh, sure. uh, and I mean, I, I, we haven't left the house in, in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Uh, and, and my, I, I really feel for people that have like teenage children, uh, trying to be stuck at home, that teenage angst must be unbearable for everybody Mm -hmm. uh, around them, including themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, But if you have a group like that, where your friends can get together virtually, uh, at any age, it kind of reconnects you to the world. And especially if you are like minded, because there are very few people around me that are as into photography as I am, but I can connect to them across the entire planet once a week. Uh, So that's it's important. It
1: is very yeah. important. You know, it's, you know, now we have to go down the, the depressing path, but it's, you know, people are trapped and humans are social creatures by design. And this is, this is a grand global, ex, you know, social experiment of what happens when you separate social creatures, you know, how do they, how yep. do they get that much needed interaction with other humans? And luckily we have the internet and we have, we can still virtually connect um, but it's uh yeah it's it, it, we've i've found that having that meeting weekly has you know like 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 you said when you started the podcast it was just kind of a fun thing let me just try this and i started that meeting you know it started off as an office hours i'm like okay let me make myself available so we can just chit chat with anybody and then people started showing up and it grew and grew and grew and then it turned into a mixer and You know, now it's a party. Right. So I think it's important that we have those sorts of things these days, whether it be mine, whether you start one where other people are doing them. I think it's, you know, those kinds of informal events that aren't selling you anything. It's just a bunch of people hanging out and chatting are important versus the webinar with the sales pitch at the end and all this other stuff. It's just, you know, it's fun. People talking to people. And that's at uh,
0: thisweekinphoto.com,
1: and you can find the links to that and other places
0: where you can find Frederick um, at uh, photogeekweekly.com in the show notes for this episode. Uh, Let's get into the picks of the week. I know you've got another meeting in a little bit, Frederick, so we'll be pretty fast about this, but um, my pick is uh, from Venus Optics. They rolled out the Liowa 100mm macro lens, I believe it was last year. And uh, really interesting design. I've loved their uh, their ability to bring in a manual focus type of lens, uh, which mm-hmm. for macro photography, I don't need autofocus, yeah. um, but to have electronic control of the aperture. And I was so excited to use this, threw it on my Sigma MC21 adapter, for Canon EF mount, put it on my Lumix bodies, and it didn't work. Um, then I contacted them and they said, well, we've got a firmware update for the aperture control chip inside but we can't update the firmware on them. We can send you a new chip. Uh and so I got I had the joy of disassembling the lens, replacing a circuit inside and putting it back together and just the nerd in me was in heaven. Uh and now it works perfectly. That's and awesome. if you were to if you were to buy one of these now, you wouldn't have to go through that process. I was just an early adopter. Um, the optical quality of this lens is phenomenal. It's available on almost every lens mount, including now some native mirrorless mounts, not L mount, but uh, some others. Mm. And uh, uh, it goes up to a two to one magnification. So twice as close as the average macro lens gets without extension tubes, so filling the frames with water droplets and the tiniest details of an insect and so on and so forth, especially on uh, high resolution sensors today, yeah. it's resolving power holds up and uh, and it's, it's a pretty good, it's not perfect um, they decided to include a filter thread on the top and included, I can take it off a, a filter just to protect it because the lens has this kind of sliding barrel that kind of comes in from quite oh, an extreme okay. uh, distance, it's just the way that it was designed and you don't want to get crud inside there so they put a filter on the front um they labeled it as an mcuv filter multi-coated uv filter i tested it it's just glass it doesn't block ultraviolet light so don't lie about that guys everything else about the lens is solid uh you will get caught
1: if you lie on photo geek weekly right?
0: yes uh, i will call you out uh, but that aside, and I can put a different filter on if I, if I really want Uh, that aside, that lens is my pick of the week. Uh, It's affordable. It's a tool that you can use right at home right now. uh, And it's something that I don't know why manufacturers have always stuck to that one-to-one life-size marking for macro lenses for decades. You can get closer. Why not design it into the lens? And a lot of the third party people are now doing it. So
1: there we go. I love that. You are, you are the magician when it comes to macro. Right. So you well, you have you. Some, you have some you know, you are you have some sort of like force, you know, powers in there that allow you to get shots that other people just dream of. I mean, you and I did an interview a while back um, on macro photography that's on, on the on This weekend Photo YouTube channel. And as you know, whenever comments come in, I'll forward them over to you and you'll answer them quickly. And it's just like people are still just enthralled by what it's, it's you taught them. content. Yeah, 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 and there's people are like, oh, I never knew it was, it, you explained it so eloquently, so thank you for that, by the way. Oh, you're welcome,
0: you're welcome. Do, do you have a pick before you have to go?
1: I do. My pick of the week is my newest camera. And it is that S1. So the the Lumix S1, which I purchased, and I toiled about this for a while. And now let me give you my my reasoning for, for getting it. So I am a Micro Four Thirds shooter. We're recording in or, or speaking through Zoom right now, and I'm looking at you through a Lumix GH4 with a 15 millimeter f1.7 lens on it. Right. So. I love micro four thirds. I love the size of it. I love the quality of the images I get out of it. They're, they're fine. The sensor's sensors great for me. I don't shoot a whole lot of low light. So um, I, that didn't really bother me that much. Um, but I've decided that I want to start experimenting with some astrophotography. I want to do some, you know, some high end portraiture that's going to re- re- require some high level retouching and, you know, those sorts of things. So it's the right tool for the right job. So I thought about it Don, for a while. I was thinking, and here's my, here's my thought process. I was thinking, okay, micro four thirds is great. I'm going to use it for all this stuff. I'm going to continue to use micro four thirds, but since I need a full frame camera, do I need to get The S1, or can I? Everyone's talking about Sony. Should I go get a Sony camera? Should I get one of the Nikon cameras? Or should I get an APS C Fuji camera? People seem to love Fuji. Why don't I go investigate? I investigated for 18 months. People around me will tell you that it was ad nauseum my discussions and questions about why, you know, what camera do you use and should I get that one and why. Ultimately, I decided on the Lumix S1. Not because I'm an ambassador, because I still use Lumix. Um, I decided on the S1 for one main simple reason, and that was the user interface. So the interface across all of my Micro Four Thirds cameras and now on my full frame S1 is identical. There's no learning curve. It is a walk in the park. I just pick up a bigger camera and I'm, I'm rocking and rolling and it is a great camera. We don't have to go into all the specs about it, but it is it's a great camera and it's the perfect and logical next step for someone like me.
0: It's it's solid. It's easy to use. And I, as an instructor uh, doing workshops, hopefully I'll get to do them in person again at some point in the future. <laughs> yeah. um, but when I pick up somebody's camera and I have to try and figure it out, Olympus has been the worst. Mm. Sony hasn't been much better. And yes, they're always getting better as time goes on. I was a Canon shooter for a while, so I knew how that worked. But Nikon called the same things different things and put them in different places. Yeah. And to, it, they're all speaking different languages. Um, but even when I was a Canon shooter... Uh, picking up Lumix cameras, I always understood them. The, mm-hmm. the learning curve to figure out where things were, how to find certain features, what they were called, you know, the, the shortcuts to get there, et cetera, was always fairly intuitive. Yeah. There's always going to be some learning curve, yep. but if you're already shooting Micro Four Thirds as a Lumix shooter... Uh, and you need full frame, there's no reason to look at anybody else because you're going to be speaking the exact same language.
1: Yeah. You know, the only drawback uh, was weight, size and weight, like I said. So I've got a uh, behind me, see that bag on the floor? That yep. is a, that is a uh, Peak Design travel bag, you know, the big one that they make and in it is, well, in it goes that S1 right there that's, that's behind me. There's that 7200 in there. There's uh, the 24-105, to 105 and that 15-millimeter beast is in there. There's also a drone in there, and then all, all the related accessories like memory cards and yada, yada, yada. So all that stuff is in there. My Micro Four Thirds kit with more lens and more stuff in there and the Mavic Mini weighs in, I don't know, I, I forget how much it weighs, but it doesn't weigh what that thing weighs. That thing is like 28 pounds on my back, you know, and I feel like Charlie Brown going camping with all that gear on. So it's made me sort of rethink the, the, when I can use that camera. Cause it's not a, let me just bring this camera just for the heck of it. It is a, like I said before, is, is, is a camera that you bring with intent. And that's yeah. a camera kit that you bring with intent. <laughs> so yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> well, it's, and and, and to, to say
0: with intent, uh, just to round off that that idea, um, is that uh, you know I have the intention of using technology to push certain limits, but I'm only going to do that when it's convenient for me to do so. Like at home, yeah, it's fairly easily leave that camera around, or if I have a job to do, uh, then that makes sense. But if I'm traveling, I, my Micro Four Thirds, I love the Lumix GX Nine, tiny. I even put a little pancake lens on that, and it's fine as well. So, um, and uh, the right tool for the right job, I suppose. Yeah and uh all right i guess it is time to say goodbye frederick this has been a great episode thank you so much for being on uh and again everybody go to thisweekinphoto.com to check out frederick and his work uh and uh, the community that you have fostered over the last few years I, i appreciate what you've been doing continuously with the industry and for anybody that's been listening thank you so much for listening now it's time to stay in and shoot